Santa Cruz Coffee Break, a special podcast series brought to you through the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum, a place on the web where guitar players can comfortably get together and enjoy their love of great music, great players, and of course, great Santa Cruz Guitar Company guitars. Find us on the web at santacruzguitarplayers.com. Should you want to reach Santa Cruz Guitar Company, their web address is santacruzguitar.com. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is completely informal, and if you have ideas of topics you'd like to hear Richard Hoover express his thoughts on, please join us on the forum and send us a message. Please also note that all the opinions are those of the speakers and do not reflect the official positions of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, its employees, or its dealers. With all that out of the way, let's get on to this month's Santa Cruz Coffee Break. So this is... uh, Lunch with Otis, and it's our second podcast, and today um, Richard is going to enlighten us on a trip to Summer Nam, which is apparently quite a different scene than uh, January Nam. Um, I don't think it's quite the same level of uh, tight pants and purple hair and and all that stuff. Darn. Too, too bad on that, you know, but uh, <laughs> so uh, welcome to the front room of Santa Cruz Guitars and uh, Lunch with Richard. Delighted to have you guys as always. I'm Richard and Tab. This is a, a real fun thing for me to do. And having done it once before, now I feel like a veteran. Maybe I'll, I'll have some more confidence here. <laughs> well, so you just got back from Summer Nam. Let's, let's hear some of your thoughts about it. Um, you weren't there officially with you know the guitar company. You didn't have a display or anything, so hopefully you had a little more time to enjoy yourself and have a little fun. Uh, anything that uh, you can tell us about that doesn't have to go on a police record? Or... No, I'll tell you that too. That's why <laughs> most people come back and listen to this um, show next time. Um, you know, one of one of the uh, big gratitudes I have is to come back from uh, 94 degrees at 98% humidity at 7.30 in the morning to this beautiful coastal fog when I get up, you know, no complaining about being cold midsummer. This is, this is the way to live. Um, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, the, the summer NAM, as Richard was suggesting, is very different than winter NAM. It's probably, uh, let's guess, 15, 17% the size of summer NAM, I mean winter NAM. Uh, winter NAM has become the international show. It's really taken the mantle from Frankfurt to be the place that people come from around the world to see what's new and network in the music industry. Um, uh, Nashville is uh, uh, regional, is, is, is the word first comes to mind. I think Nashville is within driving distance of some amazing percentage of the population of the U.S., uh, maybe upwards of 75 to 80%. I've heard. So um, people come to that show that wouldn't dream of coming to uh, Anaheim for either uh, because of the expense, the distance, or what they've heard on Fox News about (laughs) California. And uh, that that, um, means the attendance is is, uh, much lower. But it doesn't mean it's less quality. It's, um, It's really compact. You can see most things. You can find most things you want. And, uh, as I, and as I've said before, um, you can uh, go to the NAMM show 
and tell the story of your business, or you can stay home and let someone else make up a story about you, <laughs> right? So, uh, not that I'm trying to game anybody, but when I have a presence there, um, uh, and somebody asks if Santa Cruz guitar is there, people go, oh, they must be, I saw Richard, you know, you uh, walking around. And what I go for, um, as I explained when we were wondering about the return on investment for that travel, is I go for the opportunities that come up that you'd never know if you weren't there. And those aren't just meeting new people, that may be people I could call on the phone at any time, but that context uh, um, uh, gets you into conversations that really can change your life, change your business. Where, so, where's it held, Richard? It's Nashville proper, it's right in the middle of town, uh, which they actually mowed down and started again uh, over the last few years. It's called the Music uh, City Center, I believe. And it is um, it's down the street from the original Opry, which you can barely see anymore because of all the high rises and so forth. Uh, nicely air conditioned, ah. and uh, uh, really pleasant, right in the middle of town, which makes it accessible until you try to find a place to park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course you want to be as close as possible so you don't get ringing wet by the time you get there. The reason I go is for the opportunities I, I have no idea are going to happen until I get there. Not having a booth allowed me the opportunity to sit and talk to people for an unlimited amount of time and do some great networking research, um, which is uh, really the best way for us to promote ourselves is you know through telling the story. And as you know, we're open source, and I like to deal with other people that are. That's how we get smarter. So I, I made some really good, uh, uh, spent my time really well there. So Richard, I'm not really familiar with, with, with NAM. Um, what's the mix there? I mean, you're obviously a, a high-end custom acoustic guitar shop. Are there a lot of other people like you there, or is it more electric? Is no. It more... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there aren't a lot of people like you yeah. anywhere in this industry, but I mean... Uh, briefly, uh, to just kind of define what this is, uh, you know, we're fundamentally a custom shop, uh, can get everything somebody wants in one guitar, including the uh, uh, parts of sound and the quality of sound thereafter. And uh, NAM is the place for, for uh, wholesalers that sell to stores, and uh, usually their, their target is a price range, right? Uh, the lower the price, the more guitars they can sell. And with that, the sound of the guitar is, is secondary, if, even if important at all. Sure. You know, the steel string guitar is loud enough that you can take care of the rest through marketing. And their, their job is to sell somebody on this instrument before they even go to the store and play it, you know, that they're ready right, to do it. Right. So as far as uh, larger companies posing as boutiques or having a boutique uh, uh, section, you know, you'll find that in any big manufacturer. But the only thing uh, similar to us was uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy Gale's uh, boutique guitar showcase and he he's uh, um, has a, a booth there and a road show where he takes of single builders or maybe a single builder with an apprentice on the road and that was a w oasis that was wonderful hmm, to go in and see uh, what people both electric and acoustic and very innovative stuff some uh, really uh, uh, experimental, risky, and uh, cool-looking <laughs> things. So that was one of the uh, uh, great places. In fact, one of my favorite things in the whole show was uh, Brian Gallup of Gallup School of Lutheran, Michigan, and some of his 
uh, advanced instructors slash students had built a, a, a guitar that was really inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright and Craftsman uh, design, uh, geometric uh, shapes with nice lines and, and colors, but it was really subtle. And, and there was a, a Craftsman style oak chair that was built for that guitar to hang on a hook. Uh, it was really inviting. It was, it was covered in kind of a dusty uh, blue, made it look like something in Grandma's house that had been there since the 1920s. So you uh, could pick up the guitar, sit in the chair, and, and uh, you know, go into another world. Uh, the back had the same Frank Lloyd Wright uh, decorations around the perimeter, but it, it was odd. There was something missing. The, the middle was blank mm -hmm. on that. But when you set it in the hanger on the chair, there was a, a glass window in the middle of it, and when you went around behind, the design was etched in the glass, uh, and it reflected on the back of the guitar. And that was just really clever, really, really nice, clever. Nice. And the workmanship was exquisite. So you sit in the chair, you play the guitar, and as you reach down uh, to the side of the chair, there's a drawer that comes out on, on uh, uh, probably linear bearings, just slides like a dream. You know, it takes no effort, and it slides out, and there's a, a carafe, a bottle of wine, and one glass in that chart. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, that was a, that was a really big hit and, is, and a real yeah. inspiration too. Very interesting, okay, okay. The show is um, smaller, so some people weren't there, uh, but um, Gibson, Taylor, Martin, and uh, uh, you know some of the uh, Asian imports, Yamaha, uh, 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 Aria, and things like that were also there. So that sounds sizable, but yeah. Not huge. Yeah, you could wear yourself out trying to see everything in there nice. at one time. Um, but just, you know, to, to give you a, a feel for what the opportunities are there, I could almost sit near the entrance and end up with uh, uh, everything I wanted, you know, as people I see that would walk by and we sit right. down and talk. Outside the show, I made a pilgrimage to Carter's Vintage, uh, Christy and uh, uh, Walter are uh, wonderful people, and they just have the cool stuff, you know. Um, they've got the real thing, old pre-war Martins and uh, uh, F5 lower mandolins and, and everything in between. And that was, a, that was a really wonderful thing to do. So do you still find, find inspiration from those vintage instruments and from, from yeah, some of those? Yeah, absolutely. When we see these old vintage instruments uh, uh, that are still available, and uh, we find that they sound better than new guitars, they are treasured, they're really, really expensive. A lot of people don't think that there's more at play uh, than just that they made good guitars at that time. In fact, uh, because these instruments were production instruments, there was a lot of variety in the quality of sound of those guitars back from the beginning. And it's natural selection. You have a guitar that sounds beautiful and inspires you. You pick it up more often. Uh, you keep it in adjustment. Uh, you take care of it, and it lasts. Uh, if the guitar is not inspiring, uh, you don't take as good care of it. You might put it in the closet, and uh, uh, natural selection, those things die. They fall off. Right. So the things that we see today that still exist are the, the, the result of the good stuff. The inspiration I get from those is uh, oftentimes design, um, design ideas, uh, and just good research. Um, we're always learning, and we better always be learning in this. 
and uh, our ability to evaluate uh, these old things and, and incorporate if we want to uh, or at least understand that history. Pretty important to know where we came from, to know where we're going. That's an interesting point and it's one that I think I've made with people a few times that luthiers and repairmen of, of, of your vintage, you know, had a chance to get your hands on a lot of instruments that at the time weren't as rare and valuable as they are today. And so many young luthiers, I don't know if they get the chance to, you know, really get, work on, you know, pre-war Martins and old Gibsons and such because now they're considered to be so valuable that they only take them to experts. Um, yeah, understood. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, that's an invaluable part of my education uh, is finding out what worked and what didn't work uh, by the um, the body of of work that comes before me. I worked on really famous guitars back when we did a lot more restoration. Uh, on vintage instruments than we do today. And there are some guitars that today I wouldn't work on, not because I don't have the appropriate skills to do it, uh, but just the expectations and the judgment from right, others right. about um, the processes. You know, you can't please everybody, and uh, uh, it, would be, it would be hard. But you're right, today those instruments aren't as accessible um, uh, to look at, to get access to, and so uh, beginning builders have to rely on other people's interpretations. I mean, would, so wouldn't it be great to have like a 1930s, 1940s OM45 in here for a week and a half or two weeks just so your young luthiers could play it? And, and so they could say, well, I know what those old instruments sound like, or at least that one that I got a chance to play. Yeah, actually that, that is, you know, not, not to the letter, but that's part of our program. Uh, when I get the opportunity to get a guitar in here, uh, everybody gets a chance to look at it. I'll talk about it. It's important uh, for them to understand that That's and have great. that connection. That's Indeed. Great. What else? I mean, uh, you had fun, I assume, at, at NAM. I mean, you weren't uh, just talking guitars all the time. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. That's that's what I do. Well, one of, one of the um, a couple of the things that were really worth the trip, and again, opportunities that came up I wouldn't have expected. Um, uh, Joe Glazer from uh, uh, Glazer, uh, you know, uh, uh, repair in Nashville. Joe is a, a world class, uh, probably uh, one of the most uh, well versed, experienced guy in guitars, uh, acoustic guitars, electric guitars, how they work, how they get repaired, and the analysis of how they could be better. And so I just can't spend enough time with him. Uh, Joe's also one of the partners in the Pluck Machine, uh, which you know, I won't go into that explanation, but that, that in itself is a, is a day's worth of discussion. But the chance to, to get with Joe and talk about uh, shared experiences, uh, pick his brain, um, is, you know, it's an opportunity that, that most makers, whether they know it or not, really would wow. benefit from. So we, uh, we had a couple of dinners uh, hung out together, and his network is pretty broad. Uh, we, we went for hot chicken in Nashville to a, a nice neighborhood, untourist place, and uh, our, our two uh, guests, uh, one was uh, Mr. Tiger from Shikai Group in uh, China. And uh, you know he knows well who I am, and that discussion was awesome uh, to uh, hear about what they're doing over there uh, compared to what we're doing, and just begin uh, you know a conversation where we could pick each other's brains and uh, get some inspiration. And over there, 
uh, a lot of business is done on the internet like it is here, uh, but the uh, Taobao, uh, Alibaba are complicated. There's government regulations that you have to operate in a, a gray zone, uh, and it's hard to understand the rules of this. And the, and, the, and the game really goes to the people that understand the machinations of how to manipulate this gray zone. Because in the gray zone, you could be chosen at any time uh, to go to jail. You, know, ah. you really can't do business without being in that gray zone. Uh, so learning how to manipulate that and work it. Whereas eBay, you know, it's really simple. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, as a citizen, you can go on it. So great to hear how that market works because we're never going to figure it out on our own <laughs> with that. So Joe's a wonderful resource, and I, I, I don't mind dropping his name in that. Uh, another one, I spent considerable time with Brian Gallup, uh, Brian's School of Luthery. And Brian is another genius that really, really understands guitars and has spent a career uh, trying to quantify uh, the parts of sound and how to manipulate them. And that's one of my career goals, is to be able to put what we do into a scientific vocabulary. As open source, of course, I'd like to share that um, cohesively and, uh, co and, and understandably, coherently, um, but also in training uh, from one person to the next how to voice and tune an instrument, um, it's better to have quantifications like uh, a scale A, B, C, one, two, three, then do you feel that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as you do it? And uh, we're able to get uh, consistent results from what we do in voicing and tuning. We can nail our target. And when you can repeat something, that's a good indication that you understand what you're doing. So from that, we can also manipulate those to do custom voicing and get the desired results. There's no question that what we do works. But how I explain it happens, I could be really wrong, you know? And that's why I want to network with people that do this on a, on, w within the scientific framework uh, so it can be described. And that's a lot of information, but, but Brian is that guy. Uh, you know, the, the people I respect most respect yeah. him and what he's doing. So it's not that he could tell us how to do what we're doing. We're already doing that, but he can help us to quantify it. Right. And that, that'll make the world a better place. Come up with a common language, common yeah, dialogue. It, yeah, it really, yeah. there is so much um, uh, misinformation out on uh, what makes guitars sound the way they do. And it's not malicious, it's just people guessing, yeah, you know, it's just what the that internet. is. And uh, another career goal is to just defuse that misinformation on the internet. I don't need to say debunk because nobody's trying to con you, uh, but they can sure direct you uh, down a wrong path with that. Those were the those were the really real fun ones for me. Right, and, and Brian trains a fair number of, of young luthiers. Uh, he does. He's got a. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I let you finish that. I had a question with that. Well, no, I was just, I, I was just wondering. You know, so with all the people he's training, do some of them come through your shop? Have you? Oh yeah, um, I pay real close attention to that. You know, there's different schools of uh, luthery, and they offer different things. Uh, for, for some of the best well-known, the value they give us is that they've qualified this person uh, as far as work ethic, roommate qualities, uh, ability to uh, uh, be on time, help others. That's the stuff we really, really want because we can train and retrain somebody right. that has aptitude and hand skills into what we do. Otherwise, you, you can be with somebody a long time before you really get uh, uh, their uh, roommate qualities, if we will. And then there's other schools like Gallup that what people learn 
is actually something we can apply right away. Right. So I do pay attention to that. And he's got a great, uh, a great thing. He's really encouraged us to do this. So rather than hire somebody to come in and ruin things while they train and eventually find out if they're, uh, if they're appropriate and fit into what you're doing for a lot of expense and, and uh, time, what he does is he have people or their parents pay for guys to be there, do the apprenticeship, and out of these people, he can choose the ones that are willing have the aptitude and the teachable heart to work on making his own brand of guitars. So at that time he knows what, what they can do and what they are and there's some really gifted people that, that are there uh, uh, permanently working with them and many that go off on their own. And uh, so I'm always looking for applicants from that. Excellent. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's others too but that, that's a little bigger than the scope of the conversation sure, today. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I did. You brought it up, and I thought it was, it was yeah. interesting. Yeah, and I did for a reason. I wanted to drop yeah. his name and, there you you know, go. <laughs> and say they're, they're very cool guys to do. So um, other than that, uh, I, did, uh, I did have uh, uh, the ability to find somebody, take them out off the show floor and get some quiet and go through conversations. And there's so much to learn. Uh, uh, one of the guys I spent some time with has uh, worked for uh, Old Dobro, uh, Gibson, managed uh, Zeta, violins, uh, on and on, and he's seen the evolution of a lot of factories, gone through the process of, of physical, uh, mechanical improvements, and been involved in a lot, a lot of human relations and training. And uh, in that context, you can make a lot of mistakes. And that's always what I'm looking for. Okay, what went wrong and how do I avoid that? Right, right. So uh, maybe that sounds a little dry, but I was in heaven. I know. You know these, these are the things I, I just love to do. That's fantastic. Well, well worth the trip. <laughs> yeah, well worth the trip. I, I think that, that I'm like an awful lot of people who have never been and probably will never go to a NAM, but you hear about it so much. I highly you recommend know, it to anybody. It's trade only, right. which means you have to have a backstage pass. You have to have an introduction from a music store, a manufacturer, somebody in the business that can get you a ticket to go in. Right. Uh, but, you know, all... all uh, um, uh, potential guitar makers and the guitar making curious should go there. <laughs> so I heard mention of uh, one hot chicken dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, uh, did Waffle House figure into the uh, the uh, stream of things? You're in the South. I yeah, think. we are in the South, but this is really uh, funny. Uh, Nashville it doesn't act like the South anymore. You know, the funnest thing, I used to go to a place like Manel's, which was a family style, and you walk in, and people are in the midst of dinner, and they might be bringing you a sheet cake or a, a square of lime jello with mayonnaise on it, but they also might be, you know, chicken, catfish, all that stuff. Eat all you can. But that's been supplanted by um, the influence of uh, 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 Brooklyn. Uh, 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 it's, it's, it's tech hipsters and students now. So when I first started going to Nashville, you know, sushi, Mexican food, uh, Thai food would have just, you know, drawn blank stares. Uh, but now uh, all that stuff's available. So there's a great real Mexican food restaurant that we went to twice there. That was really, really nice. But the hot chicken, which was near Joe's shop, and it was the real thing. And hot chicken, for those uninitiated, is, is like... It's, it's not like, mmm, that's spicy. It's like, ow, this is crazy. Why would people eat this stuff? And the reason is because it feels so good when you stop. 
<laughs> you know, your endorphins have all come rally to your defense, and you, and your joints get loose, and it feels good. So the, the the Chinese guests were like, were like, yeah, we have spicy food. Don't worry, I'll get the hot. I'll give you a choice. And uh, their their take was, why would anybody eat this? This is poison. <laughs> but it was great. We sat outside. It was hot. There was flies. Um, uh, it was messy, sticky, and the perfect southern experience. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> did you did you hear any uh, get a chance to go out and hear any good music while you were there? Um, you know, in the in the uh, show itself, there was a few people doing demos and yeah. things like that. Uh, Trey Hensley played for um, Shub. Uh, Shub usually has John Jorgensen do a, a thing there, and uh, John Jorgensen, of course, is a better everything than any of us will ever be. He's, um, uh, he's like one of the best guitar players in the world, but that's a diversion because he has an a advanced degree, like a PhD in woodwinds, you know? Mm. So listen and play clarinet's great. But this year, uh, Trey Hensley and Rob Ikes were uh, performing, and Trey did a show for us when he was like 11, you know, as a prodigy, so it was really good to see him. And uh, um, he was he was really really awesome. There was a lot, there's a lot of showcases and things like that. But I only had three nights, and those were the opportunities to really do an immersion uh, with different people for yeah. dinners. And I got to be really protective about that. That's the time you can really um, uh, bond and get some information. So I can always hear the music, you know, but I don't get those opportunities. Right. So it's funny. I should have been to 10 more restaurants and gone to 80 more concerts, but, but I didn't. <laughs> There's always going to come up again. And uh, yeah, God another. willing, yeah. It's, um, it's not getting easier to travel. You know, <laughs> the travel is painful, but it was worth it. The destination was, uh, was awesome. I've had some wood adventures. You know, we had some nice yeah. people come through the shop. And, uh, yeah, let's talk uh, about wood. What, yeah. what, what's come through the shop? You'd be happy. I had to do that. What I was going to say is we we in a nice patch of normal, and uh, sometimes when you're under duress, you know, you'd pray for like eight seconds of ordinary. Um, so we've had that for a bit, but ordinary for us is a crisis every hour, you know, <laughs> and so that's fun. Uh, one of the one of the really uh, nice uh, introductions is. Um, uh, they had to dismantle a, uh, an old bridge, probably dates back a hundred years, uh, in Yosemite. And I'm just collecting uh, more information about that, when it was first constructed, what the story was, where the trees came from for that. And it's really promising, I'll get that. But we bought um, a really big beam of that that will start processing. And uh, redwood is dear to my heart. You know, it's a local wood. The tree is, is uh, beloved. It's a particular application. The old reclaimed stuff, like anything, is much more resonant because the sticky resins of polymerize become like crystal. Um, and that's going to give great resonance. So, uh, but you don't know until you cut into it and begin to evaluate it. So we just got to take the risk of getting that and and doing it. And that, that as a lot of woods, that found us because people know our story of liking to use old woods. So we got that call. Mm. And uh, that, that's really a thrill. That's and, also uh, yeah. really risky, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it when is. you get wood from a bridge or from a tunnel or from somewhere, you don't know how much steam and oil and tar and, and you know. And it, that's the good stuff. <laughs> 
it's the it's the horseshoes, the bob wire, the bullets. Right, you know, right. Uh, they're in it that they're the bad surprise uh, with it. And there's there is degradation, and there's uh, nail holes, and some of them might still be in there. Uh, but that's part of the thrill of the hunt. Oh yeah. Do. And it is risky to buy a, a big enough piece like this, like this. Um, I'm going I'm to call it. It's a timber, uh, really probably 15 by 15 inches by 15 feet. And uh, uh, you know, just a quick calculation. Maybe that's about um, uh, 150 tops uh, if it was cake. Right. You know, right. I'm going to guess the yield might be more like 50 tops if we're lucky. And that, that, that thing probably, it's in a retail situation, probably $3,000. And it might just be sawdust by the time we're done. But that's the nature of it. Oftentimes people wonder, like, man, Brazilian rosewood, are you out of your mind with how much you charge? I can go on eBay and I can find it for yeah. uh, $400. Um, well, there's yeah. a reason uh, that it costs uh, uh, as much as it does. Every piece doesn't work. Um, every piece isn't the quality we need, and we have the, uh, you know, I might go to uh, uh, Sweden, Guatemala, um, China, and all those trips could be for naught. Um, uh, it wouldn't work out. When I finally do find stuff that's usable, um, we've got the time, the cost of the money, etc., and, uh, and it takes more time to build. So it's not a big profit center for us. It's more bragging rights and, and fun to do. <laughs> And, and the piece that's $400 on eBay is not only not CITE certified, uh, which is trouble, um, but it might not be Brazilian. Yeah, I was going to say. And, and uh, there's a lot of uh, um, experienced, let's say, uh, um, uh, experts uh, that won't really tell the difference between genuine Dalbergia Negra and a hybrid. You know, and that. So uh, not to brag, but that's dangerous stuff to think you can just like go do that. It can happen. Yeah. Uh, you might be buying uh, four or five pieces to get that one, so you might as well have gotten the good stuff from us in the first time for the same price. Sheesh, yeah, I'm yeah. full of myself. <laughs> no, uh, well, I, I think this, <laughs> this is the kind of information I think people don't get on the Internet mm-hmm. is, is how often the stuff that's being advertised, uh, just because it is a certain name, doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's really going to be good for building a guitar with. Yeah, that um, also exposes a lot of uh, uh, mythology. Uh, that somehow you could look at a piece of wood and evaluate its uh, potential, uh, either grains per inch or something or something. Yeah, yeah. And in uh, and, and something like redwood, um, it can be perfectly quarter sawn, clean, clear, uh, look just right, and it's so flexible, it's just it's worthless. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'll let you know. We'll find that out soon. <laughs> well, that sounds exciting. One. And I've always got something cooking. You know, uh, Unfortunately, I can't follow up on all of these which is heartbreaking, yeah. um, uh, but you know we'll, we'll keep it going. There was a there was a couple of questions. Um, one came from uh, it came about varnish finish on the back and yeah mm-hmm. back and necks. You know I don't want to be a pill here, uh, but um, whenever you ask a question, I just assume you want a thorough answer. Uh, varnish, lacquer are generic terms, and they can be made out of anything. Uh, they can be acrylic. Um, uh, they could be a uh, like a like an epoxy like two part catalytic combination. Uh, they could even be a UV cure type thing, and you could call it varnish. Um, uh, but um, when we talk about uh, shellac or varnish, we we really want to think it's stuff from the old days, and somehow it adds value 
to the sound, uh, uh, the performance of the instrument. And that's really where it comes to me is um, uh, we just simply, for ethical reasons, we're not going to do something that costs more money that doesn't give you added value. We can achieve what we're looking for in qualities and quantities of sound with our with our uh, uh, artist palette uh, spices, if you will, to build a guitar. And uh, doing something like a varnish finish is really not going to be a dramatic uh, addition uh, or change to the guitar. Um, also, it is it, to do it right is tricky. There are some companies that offer it as an option. Real varnish doesn't dry like um, uh, lacquer or so forth. And it, it uh, like a French polish, is a, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, it has a nice uh, glow. It looks very expensive. It looks very elegant and desirable. Um, but uh, you uh, take your guitar to an outside festival, and you open the guitar, and first you think the guitar is missing, but you see it's stuck to the lid. Yeah. And uh, I, know, I know there's companies that ship uh, a varnish guitar in a logo wear, like a T-shirt, you know, so that in travel it doesn't get hot and the, and the fur of the uh, uh, guitar case make an imprint on it. So um, this isn't to, to diss anything that anybody's doing. It's just a caveat uh, to make sure that um, you're dealing with a, a builder uh, that's looking after your interests in that is going to do something that gives you added value and and the v added value is not negated by a, a maintenance problem that could really devalue your instrument and that's a lot more than i intended to say <laughs> on that one but does it make sense it, absolutely yeah. and i think i think that the, the real takeaway from that for me is is that varnish isn't varnish mm -hmm. uh yeah oftentimes uh, uh especially in large companies that um uh, there's a lot of uh, instances where somebody wants the uh, the bragging rights, the story, the attention-seeking device, but they want to fit it into a production uh, paradigm where they can uh, do it for a lower cost than they sell it for and sell more instruments. And uh, the reason I was saying I've said more than I want is I don't want to I don't want to uh, diss anybody uh, in guitar making. Guitar making is really hard, and very few people on a luthier scale are profitable in that. Um, uh, uh, the larger companies, as we talked about, build to a price target and by design, you know, they're giving you something affordable but for a reason. So I don't dismiss varnish. I probably should do a lot more experimentation myself before I'm, I'm really qualified to give uh, either an opinion or a definitive answer on that. Uh, the thing is, I, I haven't been able to demonstrate to myself that we can give added value, so I put my efforts elsewhere. There's more projects I have than yeah. I can do in my lifetime. Well, it's just, it's one more variable, and as I've understood from what you've said in the past, you know, mm -hmm. your goal is really to limit the number of variables that can affect the quality of the instrument you're building, and if you started Thank playing you. around with the finishes as well. Oh, um, well but, that said, you know, I think that one of the things I also know from speaking with you is a lot of your your tradition and your background comes from the violin building mm -hmm. and in violin building don't they generally not finish the backs of the necks um you know it's not bare uh but it's um uh it's not the same stuff like i i and i actually i i can't remember uh but when i've done necks like that uh you know when i did mandolins and so forth to get that look uh the the, the thing was finished 
and then the finish was steel rolled off. But then uh, I padded on like a, a high solids uh, sanding sealer, uh, you know, it was like a high okay. solids lacquer, just to keep the um, your finger oils and stuff from turning it black. From getting because into the grain. If it was of the wood. literally uh, bare wood, those things would look really ugly. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. you want some protection from moisture and so forth. But isn't that a cool look? Yeah, you yeah, know, it on is, that, it uh, is, I yeah. agree. Oh, but you do you in the guitar company you do do the uh, the bodies in a gloss and then do the necks in a. Uh, um, it, it it's uh, contextual. Uh, when we do a really fancy guitar, let's say we did a, a uh, an FTC with a maple body and a flame maple neck, we'll we'll buff it to really showcase that wood. If we do a forty five style, we will buff the neck. And I think I've said this before to you guys, but um, crows and humans find shiny things desirable and unshiny things not as desirable. So uh, as, as just a perception, we want the guitar to look appropriately expensive when we put all that effort and we will do it. The matte finish that we default to is exactly the same amount of work right up to the last coat. And the last coat of the same lacquer has, uh, it could be a lot of things, but uh, currently it's talc, uh, T-A-L-C, um, that uh, gives such a microscopic textured surface that it breaks up the light refraction and it looks dull. But what it also does is it breaks up the contact surface and when your hand slides over it, you're making uh, less contact with the, with the neck and you're faster. Right. It feels right. quicker, kind yeah. of counterintuitive. Oh, it but feels it really good, yeah. 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 And so we used to do that as a default, you know, somewhere on the line think, Goodness, I learned that I'm not going to buy every guitar, and therefore my taste is, is secondary to that, satisfying the customer. <laughs> You've you got to appeal to a few crows. Yeah. I, I, I was just thinking as, as we're doing this that probably we're going to change the name of this episode to Crows and Humans. Yeah. <laughs> lot, lot to learn. Lot yeah. to learn from crow Corvins, you know. Yeah, I think that, that that's uh, um, good. I, I, I respect those. We should ask real quick, did anybody interesting come through the shop that you can tell us about in the last since the last time we saw you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, a name to I can uh, drop here. Um, did, uh, I mentioned Tommy Manuel uh, last <gasps> time. No. Uh, yeah, uh, Tommy just literally walked up and walked in to let us know that his, his uh, wife had a gig out here. He was in the area and uh, wanted to just, um, a professional courtesy, drop by and say hi. Wow. And that was really funny. You know, of course, I, I don't need to introduce his uh, playing style. Uh, the only advice I had for him is like, you could make it look a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so, he's so effortless. But he was walking up the driveway, you know, and there was one of the luthiers that was um, talking in here. And, and he and looked, his, his lips kept moving, but no sound was coming out. <laughs> He's literally just stunned. You know, saying, that, 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 that's Tommy Emanuel that came in. <laughs> so, of course, we had him sit down and play a little bit. Carolyn, have we had any, any uh, uh, Illuminati come through here? here? Here's one that's, you know, it's an ongoing uh, process. Uh, is, uh, again, I'm trying to put what we do into a scientific vocabulary to be able to talk to scientists and, and uh, advance our cause. The wealth of uh, uh, contacts we get from giving tours is, is crazy. 
people from all walks of life. And, and I've uh, uh, recently been able to talk to somebody involved in, in real serious acoustic physics in different applications, uh, whether it's a sound reproduction or a medical um, uh, approach. And that, that's been awesome. There was a, a fellow that came in uh, that invited me to follow up. Uh, 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 so we got somebody involved in acoustics in uh, Tesla, uh, Plantronics. Oh. And that uh, ad hoc advisory board is just that's amazing. awesome. You know? So it doesn't have to be somebody famous walking in. Well, but when people come in for a tour, I always say, and what do you do? You know? and, and we should yeah. maybe mention that you know, anybody who comes to the Santa Cruz area should call the shop and try and make reservations to get a tour. Because it is a, a, just a wonderful experience to get a chance Thanks to walk through the shop and see what's going on. And I never get tired of um, yeah. Well, and, and it's really amazing that, that many times you actually lead the tours if you're here. And, and, I mean, it's so great that you're willing to take that bit of time away from your day to, you know, basically any, any person interested in the guitar can walk in here and, and get that same kind of firsthand experience. Thanks, Ted. It's it's a joy for me, Ted. I mean, it's seriously a joy. Um, uh, everybody knows I have a wood problem, uh, but I also have a talking about guitar problem. So yeah. come on in and enable me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's also, <laughs> let's be honest, that's why we're doing this podcast is to try and get this experience of being able to spend a little time with you out into the universe because there are an awful lot of people who may not be able to make it by Santa Cruz but we're trying to spread that little tiny bit of, of that experience out there. It's a, it's a great service. You know, I, uh, as a reminder, um, my, my job is to uh, uh, give people answers to questions and stay within uh, the realm of acoustic physics uh, proven scientific experimentation, and I promise to warn you if I'm just giving an opinion. That's um, good. Uh, there's opinions are available on the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you don't need me for that. Also, uh, gratitude to you guys. I got several uh, inquiries from people uh, that said I heard the podcast and uh, also your offer to answer questions. And people can send some really intelligent questions about, uh, you know, care and feeding, climate control, and, uh, of course, the self-serving ability to get our story out there and have people that want to buy guitars. So I'm, I really thank you guys for what you do. And I make the same invitation to the listeners. Well, we will. Well, we should we'll say, be back. Yeah, I was, was going to say, we should, we should say to anybody who's listening that if you do have questions or ideas or whatever, you know, please log on to the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and post them, because that's where we're going to try and pull a lot of this stuff from. Um, and we want to hear from people, you know, to give us ideas as to where to go and what to ask. And, and you know, this is your chance to ask those embarrassing anon anonymous questions of uh, Richard Hoover, because uh, <laughs> we'll do that for you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do my best to answer, uh, you know, correspondence uh, personally. At least I can assure that I can bring those questions to this format so everybody can benefit from those answers. Perfect. Perfect. I think Good job, you guys. I think, I think, I think, let's see. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There we Thank go. You. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for joining us on the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Please spread the word to other guitar players who you think would enjoy listening. Remember to check the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum site for more information about the topics we discussed as well as to get the links to the artist reference today. You can also make suggestions for future podcasts or submit questions that we might pose to Richard Hoover and his team. 
The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is a special project by members of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and is solely the opinion of those speaking. The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is hosted, produced, and engineered by the Tadman Group. Keep on playing and come back next month. <laughs>